Okay, we started a series last week called Foundations, and we explained that, that you know, as a church, our mission statement is to create Christ-centered communities that help people to know God, to grow in Christ, and then ultimately to go, right, to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, to be a witness, to be a witness to all the, the people in our lives, right? And so, and we're going to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. And so if that's our mission, right, and we take that from the Great Commission in the Bible, and the Great Commandment, Great Commission, uh, go into all the world, make disciples, the Great Commandment, love God and love people. We, we, if we're going to do that successfully, then, then we have to have something to work from, a foundation. When this building was built, uh, they didn't build it on dirt. Aren't you glad, right? We don't have dirt floors here, although, you know, if we did, we would praise God. But we, we don't. We have a slab that's underneath. When they built this building, they made sure the slab was was plumb and true and all those contractor words. I don't know. I'm not a contractor. But you know what I'm saying. It was, it was right because they knew they were going to build a building on top that needed to last. It needed to be safe, but it needed to last. And so if we want to last as Christians, if we want to be strong and sound and, and withstand the adversity that's coming in our face throughout our lives, if we're going to withstand that, we have to have a firm footing, a firm foundation. So we're in this series looking at what are the elements of a strong foundation. And so we're going to kind of blow that up today. And we're going to talk about uh, justification. Today, the title of today's message is Justification, a Changed Condition. Justification, a Changed Condition. Now I want to throw out a verse too that kind of help us guide through this. But there's a verse in 1 John 5, 13 that says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, watch this, that you may know that you have eternal life. Why are we talking about justification as a foundational element of Christianity? Because you need to know that you have eternal life. It doesn't need to be, I think so. It doesn't need to be a mystery. God did not leave it a mystery. He did not leave your eternal salvation a mystery. He was very clear in the Word of God. And so, so, so how do I know that, right? How do I know? How do I know? And you know, I've heard people over the years, I've talked to people, you know, and yeah, yeah, I ask the question, you know, are you born again? Are you saved? Have you given your life to Christ? And oftentimes, oftentimes the response is, well, I think so. <laughs> are you asking somebody, are you going to heaven? And, 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 and maybe I've done that to some of you. Are you, do, you do you believe that when you die, you're going to go to heaven and be with Jesus? And, and, and literally the, the, the answer too many times, too many times is, I hope so. But according to the scripture, God wants you to know so. <laughs> He wants you to be confident in your salvation, and that's why today we're talking about justification. I'm going to throw a bunch of Bible terms at you today. You don't have to try to keep up and take notes. Take pictures of the screen if you want to, but I want to tell you, today is going to be like, like eating a pot roast with some carrots and potatoes, and you're going to be full when you leave here. I, I actually think you're going to be probably overly full. You're going to be like, oh, heartburn, right? Let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, the beginning of the story, right? The beginning of the Bible, God created. And a lot to go with that, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God created. And everything God created, He said. And it's, not, it's not our opinion of what God did, but He said, it's good. Everything God made is good. He made, of course, everything we see, the universe. At the end of His creation process, He created people. And He said of us, this is good. He said we're good. He made us in his image. We were close to God. We were made in a, 
in a way, fashioned in a way that allowed us to have an intimate relationship with God, to draw close to God, to know Him and to be known by Him. We were good. In God's opinion, mankind was good. Of course, there was, there was no sin. <laughs> there was no sin in that early creation. We were given a free will, important theological term here. We were given a free will. Without a free will, without a free will, we would be like a plant. A plant worships God because a plant was created, you know, with no free will. It just, it just oh, glorifies God, right? The lilies of the field, the birds of the air, they glorify God. But mankind was given a free will. That means we were given a choice. You know, it's one thing to love someone because you have to. But to love someone because you want to, well, that's a whole other level, right? I mean, I, I don't want to show our hands, but how many of you spouses in here would, would be okay if your, if your wife or your husband loved you? Well, because I'm married to her. <laughs> I got to. I got to love her. No, no. You want them to love you for you because they want to, right? No different with God. We're given a free will to choose to love God, to honor God. And without a free will, there would be no chance to love God and be in a, an intimate relationship with Him. Now, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they disobeyed God in the garden, and you can read that story in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, when they disobeyed God, Sin entered in to mankind. So what was good became not good because sin entered in, right? Another theological word, sin, sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that was Adam, right? And death, death, we know death, we know death, we know the word death. We're very familiar with the word death. And death came in because Adam was never going to die. If, we, if he had never sinned, we'd never sinned. We wouldn't die. Hey, how many of you know eternal life? We're never going to die. Am I going to live forever? Yes, because what Jesus did on the cross. But, but when Adam sinned, sin, when Adam disobeyed God, sin entered into mankind, and death entered in because of sin. It says that in Romans 5.12. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Let's talk about sin for just a moment here. Because of sin, because of sin, mankind was separated from God. One of the simplest illustrations we've used this for years is, is literally to say, this is God, my finger here, this is God, and this is mankind. This is men. This is us. This is me. This is you. This is God. This is me and you. And sin separates, right? It's a barrier between us and God. What Jesus did on the cross was to remove sin so we can be close to God again. But sin, when Adam sinned, all mankind, sin spread to all mankind when Adam sinned. And it put a barrier between us and God. So without what Jesus did on the cross, without Christ, that we'll get to, without that, we cannot know God. We're separated from Him. Sin entered in. Consequently, the problem, will somebody say the problem? I got 99 problems, right? And sin is one of them. <laughs> no, sin is the problem. I've only got one problem. You've only got one problem. All the problems we think we have, people in our lives, right? Money, sickness, that's really not the problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is the only problem. It is the thing that keeps us from God. You see, without sin, there's no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain, 
No more struggles in our relationship. No more struggles with finances. But sin. But sin. Sin is the problem. So if we realize that, what is sin? Sin is breaking the law of God. Breaking the law of God. Uh, over the last few years, we've done a lot of series, and one of those series was called Romans. We did a, a Romans series two years ago. Uh, I encourage you to, to go on our website uh, and, and click on the media tab and watch uh, week three and week seven concerning sin. If you're like, I want to know more about this, this what, sin, because I'm not going to be able to spend an hour and a half here today talking about sin, but, but you want to know more, go on our website and watch Romans, the third and seventh installment. But what is sin? It's breaking God's law. It's literally rebellion against God, disobedience. If you're a parent, you know all about that, right? Actually, if you remember your childhood, you were rebellious at times to your parents. Go clean your room. No. Or okay, and then you don't do it. Do your homework. No. We, we have rebellion within us, but rebelling against God, it's disobedience against God. It is sin. Sometimes we, we teach it this way, but uh, the word sin goes back to an archery term, literally means missing the mark. Miss the mark, it's sin. So you know, it, if, you, if you make it simple for us as people who want to serve God, when we miss the mark, it's called sin. Honestly, we sin every day. We sin every day. We miss the mark every day. We fall short every day. We sin. Sin is all around us. Sin is in our lives. It's all around us. Sin is the problem. Sin separates us from God. It breaks the intimacy that God designed us to have, the closeness to God, the ability to hear God, the ability to experience His closeness, the ability to know His heart. That's intimacy, right? Now, as believers, we, we begin to learn that again. We begin to learn to hear the voice of God. We, we begin to draw near. Now, now this, is, this is maybe black and white, too black and white, but I'm going to say it anyway. We came to church today. I already know this. You came to church today with a very low anticipation of experiencing the presence of God. And you come back every week. You come back every week, and typically, typically, this is most people in this room right now, you came here today to hear something so that you could be better, so you can do good, right? So you can make God happy. It's a tick on a box. That's what we do. We check a box. I want to be good. I want to please God. And it's earnest and it's sincere. But there's a very low anticipation of actually walking into the room today and experiencing the very presence of God. How many of you, how many of you online, social media, you've kind of been following, watching the revival at Asbury College in Kentucky? Anybody here? Not many. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. There's a, there's a, there's a revival, the, the term, church word, but it's still an a, a, a accurate term of something that's happening. There were some students that got together uh, Wednesday would be 10 days ago, so a week and a half ago, for chapel service. They do this every week. The guy preached, preached on loving God, and they started playing a song at the end. And 11, 12 days later, they're still playing, <laughs> and they're still worshiping. They haven't left. The students haven't left. They've been there for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last 12, 11, 12 days. They've filled the chapel. They've moved to another chapel. They've got three chapels full. Now they're worshiping outside because they can't fit all the people. They're experiencing the very tangible 
presence of God. Young people, students, and they're hungry. They're hungry to hear the voice of God. I'm hearing some of the testimonies of students. And they said, God spoke to me about my life. Affirmation. Purpose. They're experiencing the presence of God. I would say if we were standing outside and they were walking out today, you would see a person who was hungry for more. Hungry for more of God, to experience God. But we didn't come here today. I mean, I'm not digging. I, I'm the same way. We walked in here today. There was a service flow. You know, we had to get baptisms done. Then we had, we talked about Nancy. Okay, you're going to open the service. And okay, we're going to sing these three songs. And at the end, we're going to sing another song. We got communion we're going to do today. You know, okay, we're doing all that. You came here today. And you're like, okay, that's the second song. If you've been here a while, you know, there's one more song, two more songs. You know, then God's going to get up and preach. And eh, it'll be okay. But, you know, maybe I'll get something out of it and take a picture of the screen. And we'll go about our week. And hopefully, you know, maybe be a little better. And then come back again again next week. That's, that's how we live. We're in that rut. We're not hungry. We're not hungry for the things of God because sin is a barrier. It's a wall. And then we get saved. We're on the other side of that wall, but we don't know how to hear the voice of God or anticipate His presence because of sin. Because of sin, it breaks intimacy with God. Not just in this life, but sin breaks intimacy forever. Sin is the problem. We do believe in heaven and hell here. We believe in eternal salvation and eternal damnation. Two destinations that we want to go to heaven, right? I do talk to people all the time and I say, you know, why do you want to get saved? Because I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I mean, those are valid reasons. I mean, not, not because I love Jesus, but you know, it's valid reasons. It's a start. But we do believe in that because sin is the problem. So I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to break open sin into two compartments. You need to understand this, and, and we'll dial into one today, and next time I preach, we'll dial into the second one. But sin, two different compartments. Sin, there's a condition of sin, and then there's the conduct of sin, okay? Two different departments. One is the sin condition. One is the sin conduct or the conduct that we live as being sinful. Now, I think we all know what the conduct of sin is, and we're actually going to talk about that in the next, the next foundational lesson. But the conduct, right? We sin. We do something that we, we know that's a sin, right? We know that's a sin. We lie. We cheated. We steal. We know. Those are sins. We, we, we talk back to our mama. You know, the Bible says, honor your mother and father. And we, we, we disobey. So we're rebellious. We're sin. We know about conduct, right? So we'll get to that one. But then there's the condition of sin. Most people don't know about the condition of sin. What is the condition of sin? The condition of sin comes from Adam. We talked about the first man. When he sinned, when he disobeyed God, a very... The sin nature came upon Adam. His condition, Adam's condition in the garden, however many, 6,000 years ago or so, it changed. Remember we said it was good, it was not good. Sin condition, it wasn't the act of sin. He did commit an act of sin. But that changed his condition now. Every man, every woman born of a man, it's in the genes. <laughs> every man, everyone born of a man, we all got a daddy, whether you knew him or not, right? We all got a, you know, a father. Every one of us born of a man has the same condition that Adam had, sin condition. You're born, I heard a baby. Is there a baby still in here? Is the baby still in here? He gone. 
that precious little baby. Coo, coo. Oh, we love them. Pinks your cheeks. Give them kisses. Oh, they smell so soft. So innocent, right? So innocent. That baby's a sinner. <laughs> I'm sorry. Y'all don't believe that. I know because that baby's precious. That baby was born a sinner. You don't have to teach kids how to be bad. You teach them how to be good, right? Because they're born bad. They're sinners. You were born a sinner with a sin condition from birth, from conception, actually. But you were born separated from God. Remember, remember the card. You're born that way. Your condition had nothing to do with your conduct. Although your conduct does reflect your condition, right? But sometimes I think we think it's what we've done that sends us to hell. And we neglect, or because we don't understand, it's who we are that sends us to hell. It's who we are that separates us from God. Not receiving the price Jesus paid on the cross and being reconciled to God leaves us in this condition. Separated from God. A sinner by identity. Now, sin's the problem. Sin is the problem. Not what you did, but who you are because of what Adam did. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Even that baby. I know, precious as that baby is. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalms 51.5, behold, I, watch this, I was brought, is this on the screen? I was brought forth, that means born in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I mean, from the start, from the time the gun went off and you came alive, you're a sinner. <laughs> you're a sinner. That's not fun to hear, is it? Come on, Pastor Mike, move on. The, and the problem is sin, and the problem with sin is that it, it requires a solution that's much bigger than we can produce. You cannot be good enough. You cannot stop sinning enough. You cannot attend church enough. Don't stop. But you, you know what I'm saying? You cannot attend church enough to absolve your condition of sin. Nothing you can do can absolve the condition of sin that you were born with. That sounds hopeless, doesn't it? And let me say it a different way. None of you, none of us, even the pastor up on the stage, is good enough to get into heaven. That is hopeless and desperate. And that's exactly where God is leading us, to a place of hopelessness and desperation. When you realize, when it comes, when you realize, when that moment comes, there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to get into heaven. You come to a place of brokenness where you need a Savior. That's what the old, old Testament was all about. Showing us we can't be good enough. Can't hold, we, can't, we can't even obey the Ten Commandments, can we? We can't do it. We never were meant to. We never were meant to be good enough. According to the Bible, the only way that sin can be forgiven and the debt of sin, which is Death, right? We talked about that. Our lives, the debt we owe. The only way that sin can be forgiven and the debt of sin paid for is by the sacrificial shedding of innocent blood. Somebody pick up your little communion elements there. Pick up that communion element and just kind of put it in your hand here for the rest of the service here because this, this is why. This is why we do communion. That juice, that grape juice in that cup. We're not, we're not ready for this yet, but, but illustration. Look at that grape juice. That represents the blood 
of Jesus. Because the only way your sins can be forgiven, I'm talking about condition now, not what you did yesterday, not you hollered at your wife and you, you called her a bad name and all that, you know, you, you need to ask forgiveness for that too. But no, we're talking about condition. The only way your condition of sin can be forgiven, the only way the debt you owe from your sin condition can be paid is by the sacrificing of innocent blood. Does anybody here want to volunteer to be the sacrifice? No, because none of us here are innocent blood, even that baby. We're not going to, okay, don't go away saying we sacrifice babies here. That is not, no, that's not what I said. We don't handle snakes and we don't sacrifice babies. Never have, never will, right? But there's no innocent blood except Jesus, except Jesus. And the only way our debt can be paid, the only way sin can be forgiven is through the sacrifice of innocent blood. Leviticus 17, Old Testament now, 1711, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I, God says this, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement, new word, new theological term, atonement for your souls. For it is the shedding, the blood, that makes atonement by the life. The life is in the blood. How many of you have ever heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for the tooth? Come on, somebody, you've heard that before in some movie somewhere. It's in the Bible, right? It's not for us, but it's for God. He's saying life begets life. Cain killed Abel, and he was cursed because the blood cried out from the ground. Go read that, Genesis chapter 4, 5. So anyway, you, you, get, you get the picture. Blood has to be shed for us. For our sin condition to be absolved, to be taken care of, for me to get into heaven, i got to have blood, innocent blood, on my behalf. You do too. And we, we don't have that. That's not something we can do. We, we, ha- we have no innocent blood. But Jesus, but Jesus was willing to be that atonement, that atonement, that, that substitution, that sacrifice. The Hebrew word for atonement is kafar, and it means to cover to purge or to make reconciliation, to make reconciliation. God's plan from the beginning was to send His Son Jesus into the world to live a sinless life, to die as the sacrifice, to atone for the sins for all people, for every one of us. Hebrews 9 says it a different way. How much more will the blood of Christ, right? That's what this communion represents. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. The only way for us to receive salvation. That's what, you know, we just did baptism here, and I'm always careful to confront uh, people, because some, people, some people's thinking sometimes is that I need to get baptized to get saved, to go to heaven, right? And, and, and all of a sudden now, being dipped in the water. See, it's something we can do, right? We can do. Hey, we get people call us up sometimes. Can I get some of that water out of the baptistry? They think, it, they think it's holy water. I tell them, this is Wiggins water. It ain't, it ain't holy. But, but that's how people think because we're searching for our own ability to atone for our sin. And so people think, I'll get baptized. That, that's not Jesus. Jesus is blood. Is the only way, the only atonement, the only payment for your sin condition. Now, we get baptized to recognize the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on behalf of our lives. That's actually going in and coming out alive, man. Now I know I'm going to live for Him every day of my life. But it's the blood. The blood. The Old Testament says it. The New Testament says it. God is clear about it. You want to be sure you're going to heaven? Be sure you're under the blood. 
when, when Mariah was born, uh, we took her home. And, you know, a few days later, whenever it was the next day or whatever, we took her home. And something was wrong. She was, she was turning blue. She was not good, right, as a parent. And we called the doctor up and said, hey, she's turning blue. <laughs> you know, well, not breathing, probably something's going on. And immediately the doctor would get her to the hospital. And zip back down to the hospital. He met us in the, in the ER door. Brought her in immediately and diagnosing and getting ready. You know, anyway, she ended up staying in the hospital a few days. Uh, it was sleep. It was uh, not sleep, but it was apnea. It was, she couldn't breathe. You get it. I remember, Mariah, I remember you were so small. Two days, three days old. And I remember holding you and you were swaddled in a, in a blanket. But I remember holding you and walking up and down the hall. And I remember singing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because I wanted life, life to be in that mortal body. I wanted her to live and not die. I wanted her to survive. And I knew the power was not in me, not in that doctor that, thank God for that doctor, Life is given to us by God. And she's alive. Look, 27. She made it. <laughs> Even Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Watch this. No one comes to the Father. Watch. What does it say? Except through me. He's talking about his blood. Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men of which we must be saved. Your condition can only be cured by Jesus and what he did on the cross. So how does that happen even? How does Jesus save us? In Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to give you just a few things today in the rest of this sermon that you need to understand as a foundation for your faith. How do we know we're saved, right? How do we know we're going to heaven? What is, what is it in the Bible that, that lays out that foundation? We've already talked about our condition of sin. We've already talked about the solution to that is Jesus and his blood. But how do we practically apply this? Number one, the Bible tells us about God's mercy. Mercy, God's mercy is God not punishing you for your sin as you deserve. God not punishing us for our sins as we deserve. That is what mercy is. Now, just know this about God. God, God is love, and at the same time, God is wrath. Well, you can't even be love without wrath. You can't, you can't say, oh, God loves everybody and everything, even the pedophile, even the murderer. No, God is love, but God is wrath. God hates evil, and he hates sin, and he hates... Oh, anything that's rebellious against him. That, that is love. Mercy is love. But wrath is also love. You know, when you're a kid, you've heard your kids say this, but when you were a kid, you said it. You, you had moments where you saw something ah, unjust, and you said these words, that's not fair. Right? I mean, you said that. That's not fair. Well, there is a place in time where that is true, and that is when God's wrath, he says, no, that's not fair. God hates injustice. He has wrath. 
because he has wrath in our sin condition, he should kill us. That is our due payment for our sin condition. Destruction, total annihilation. That's what we deserve. You know what's not fair? Is that Jesus had to go across and pay your debt. My debt. That's not fair. Yet he did it anyway. He went beyond what we would consider fairness. And in his mercy, he paid your debt. He paid your bill. So now God doesn't smash you because he smashed Jesus. He doesn't annihilate you because he, what he did on the cross was annihilated sin. Through Christ, through his blood. So mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve. Thank God. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Let that sink in. Oh my gosh. Mercy is deliverance from judgment, which we all deserve. The Bible talks about two judgments at the end of time. You can read in Revelation, a few other places about this judgment. There's two judgments. There's the, the judgment seat of Christ and then the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ. Those who are in Christ will be judged for the things they did in the flesh, good and the bad, and receive rewards and things like that. The judgment seat of Christ. Then there's the great white throne judgment where people outside of Christ, people who still have sin separating them from God, will stand before God and give an account. That's where the judgment's passed out. That's where God's mercy is lifted and the wrath of God is invoked. And it tells us in the Bible that that, that leads them. He tosses them, casts them into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judgment. We deserve that judgment. And the only way you get a ticket to stand before Jesus is to accept the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and receive him as your Lord and Savior, right? To bow your knee to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, you're the only way to heaven. You're the one who saved me. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is what happens when you give your life to Christ. Once you had not received mercy... But now you have received mercy. Ephesians tells us in chapter 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's when He sent Jesus to die on the cross. And by grace you have been saved. We're talking about the foundations of Christianity. How do I know I'm saved? Number one, it's when we begin to understand his mercy. He chose to forgive your sins. He chose not to destroy you. And the second component is grace. We're talking about mercy. Now there's grace. Grace. He gives us, freely gives us his grace. We must find God's grace. Grace can be defined as the freely given, unmerited favor of God. It's the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives operating to regenerate us. That's his grace. Grace you could say, is extending kindness to the unworthy. God gave us His grace. We're walking along in life, bebopping around, separated from God, doing our thing, living our lives based on our condition, based on our sin nature, based on our selfish cravings, feeding our flesh, doing whatever we want to do, doing whatever we want to do. 
supposed to be the end of the sermon. <laughs> Bebopping around, doing whatever we want to do in our sin condition. The Holy Spirit begins, by God's grace, to move in our lives. He begins to convict us. He begins to, to show us the mercy of God. He shows us the grace of God. He begins to love on us. The Holy Spirit, maybe using people, oftentimes it'll be just there's, man, I was in the desert of Saudi Arabia, 1990, desert of Saudi Arabia, 112 degree temperature outside, just up in a little, up in a little bungalow that we were staying in, right in the middle of the sand, laying in my bunk, minding my own business, separated from God, and God slipped in the room. And I don't know why I do now, but I didn't then. But the Holy Spirit began to convict me, laying there in my bed. Couldn't stop thinking about it. I felt it, the conviction of God. He wouldn't leave me alone. I don't know why I did this, but when I packed up to go to Saudi Arabia, to the first go for when I packed my bag, I stuck my Bible in there. I had not opened that Bible since I left home at 18 when my mom and dad gave it to me. But I stuck it in my bag. I still got it. It's on the shelf in there. I, I, I put it in my bag. Why did I do that? Because I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't believing God. I was like this. And here I am laying in the desert and the Holy Spirit, by God's grace. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about, right? All right. Began to move. And all of a sudden, I dug through my bag. It's somewhere in the bottom. And I pulled that Bible out and I opened it up. And God began to speak to me from his Bible, from his word. And he began to show me my condition, began to show me his mercy, and he began to show me his unmerited favor, his grace. It it later led me, months later, but it later led me to bowing my knee and getting saved. It's by grace that we are saved. Through faith, by grace we are saved. Not of our own doing, right? We covered that. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We must receive salvation by faith. We must receive salvation by faith. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Faith is necessary. Faith is necessary to please God. We're separated from God. God, in His mercy, doesn't kill us. In His grace, He draws us to Himself, and He shows us His favor. And by faith, we say yes. By faith, we accept what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's saying, I believe. I don't understand God, but I believe. I do know that I can't do it on my own. I do know that I need you, and I believe. I, I, I put that together, those three words, you know, the mercy, the grace, the faith. When I think of those three together, I think of, of humility, the humility that it takes for us to say, I can't do this. I have to have God. The Bible says, if you confess, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And let me, let me wrap up with this. That you will be saved. I'm doing my own thing. I'm wandering around. I'm separated from God. I'm, I'm full of, of envy and, and lust. And I'm full of selfishness. I'm living my life in the Holy Spirit. 
God's grace begins to move in my life. The Holy Spirit begins to draw me, and he begins to show me. He did this for you, right? He begins to show me God's love and that, that, that God's mercy, not killing me, not executing his wrath on me. He's drawing me. All of a sudden, I realize I'm a sinner separated from God, and I need Jesus. I cannot get saved on my own. I need Jesus. And I say to God, I say, I believe. <laughs> there's no magic words. Look, there's no script. It's just a heart that says yes to Jesus. I believe. And in that very moment, in that very moment that we believe what God has done before we believed, in that very moment, the Holy Spirit of God does something inside of us. We call it regeneration. It's something we can't do on our own. He changes us from our old to our new. We talked about it before baptism. You leave that old country behind and we embrace the new country. We say yes to God and by faith we believe in the grace of God and He does something in that instant. In that moment, our lives are changed. That's called justification. He, he justifies us by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, you're forgiven. You're not, not what you did, not what you're going to do, although that's under the blood. No, your condition, your separation from God is forgiven. That card is removed. You're justified. And now you are no longer separated from God, eternally destined to hell. No longer. When that sin condition is removed by your faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's complicated, but it's so simple. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, right? That's what happened in that instant. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know? Because you're made one with God. You're made whole. You're justified. He justified you. He made you whole. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Not that we did it. It was a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. Our condition is changed. And finally, I think this is the best part, so i got to tell you. Colossians 1.21, and you who once were alienated and hostile, right, in mind doing evil deeds, he now has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So that's why we do this. Now that little wafer in there, he's reconciled us by what he did on the cross, by giving up his flesh, by taking beatings, brutal beatings on the cross. They plucked Jesus' beard out. They spit in his face. They mocked him. They, they hammered nails through his flesh and nailed him to a cross. And they stood him up and to humiliate him, to say, if you're God, do something. You're not God. They mocked him, humiliated him, and he let them do that because of you. When they nailed him to the cross and they stood him up and they stripped him naked and humiliated him, he let them do it because you were on his mind. He did it for you so that you could be assured, so that you could know that you are just before God, before a holy God, that you're justified, that you're saved, that you belong to God. 
that it, and it says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, the Father. Jesus is proud to stand Nikki up before God. Look, God, look at her. And God doesn't see your condition from birth. He doesn't see the sins from yesterday. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed you clean. He sees your righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ. Each one of us, when we stand before God, that's what he sees. And he accepts us. Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. Guys, this Christianity thing we're doing, if it feels like slavery, bondage, you're doing it on your own, you're not letting Jesus help you, and you're not in Christ. And that's a big deal. Because we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received to fall back into fear, wondering, am I going to go to heaven or not? Wondering if I'm truly saved or not. He did not give us that spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of adoption. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are adopted into the family of God, the moment of regeneration, the moment of justification. We belong to Him. How do you know you're saved? Because of what God promised and did in your life through Jesus Christ. How do you know you're going to live forever in heaven? Because God said, and He promised Now let the devil lie. Let him lie. Let him lie. Let him tell you you're no good. Yep, that's right. But it doesn't matter. I'm in Christ. Let him tell you that you're not saved. No. Go read the Bible, devil. He tried to tell Jesus. He tried to tell Jesus in the wilderness. He gave all kinds of lies to him. Jesus said, no, but the Word of God says. The Word of God says. The Word of God says. God said. God said. You do the same thing. God said. God said Jesus Christ died on a cross. By the way, uh, devil, I'm reminded of that every time I take this communion. Every time I drink this juice, it represents the very blood that washed my sins away. Every time I eat this wafer, it represents the body that was beaten and mutilated and mocked and humiliated for me to be free, to be called an adopted son or daughter of God. No, I'm a child of God. I'm going to live forever. I don't care what this world brings to me. I'm living forever with Jesus because that's what God said, and I believe him. Amen? Did that fire you up a little bit? That was a whole lot. Now, I'm done. The fire hydrant's turned off. But I'm going to tell you what. We have to know. We ha- Come on, Evan. We have to know this. We have to know that we're right with God if we're going to be an effective witness to the world that's lost. And we'll get into that later in Foundations. 